1: up y'all exactly living corporate look i am so pumped because this conversation right here this conversation right here now look i'm gonna tell y'all the truth like this I'm, I'm this is gonna be kind of meta because i'm a i'm a pod about potting just for a second okay living corporate we get pitches like every day okay most of them okay some of them great right and then some of them or downright special. This was one of the downright special pitches that we received to engage someone that I have been a fan of for a while. And I think it's also humbling that there are people out there that I really consider like celebrities and or just people that I aspire to meet and that I would love to just engage. And, learn. and then like I get something from their group or camp that they want to. Or that, you know, to come over here to live in corporate. And I forget sometimes, like straight up, y'all, I forget about our reach. I forget about, like, the fact that, yo, like, no, we've been doing this now for half a decade. I forget about the fact that we have hundreds upon hundreds, almost a thousand podcasts under our belt. I forget about, frankly, like, the history of incredible podcasts. Conversations we've had, like, and and in terms of, I, I don't know if I always just like wear all of that on my shoulders every single moment. So I just there are moments when I just really get like, wow, this is incredible. And so this was one of those moments. Um, you know, living corporate, we had the opportunity to sit down with Latasha uh, Gillespie, who is the head of DEI at Amazon Studios. And we talk about a lot of different things. I'm not even going to, like, spoil it because we're about to get right into it. I do want to pause and say the other week I announced the fact that Living Corporate is now my full-time job. I know it might be a surprise to some of y'all. Because like, you had, a, you had a full-time job and was doing this, creating all this content on time? I did. It was, frankly, as I look back, it's like, you know, I have a... <laughs> A lot of my mentors are like, hey, Zach, this isn't sustainable. You got to stop. You got to figure this out. And then as things have continued to grow and change, it's made, frankly, I, I, the decision was taken out of my hands. I had to I had to make the jump. But I'm so excited because as I now look at Living Corporate and I look at everything that we got going on, y'all see this podcast and y'all engage and, and, and check out our content and network. And I appreciate that. Please give us five stars on the podcast. Give us a review. All of that. Thank you. But what really excites me is the the things that y'all don't see the things that are coming down the pipeline. As you're listening to this on a Tuesday living corporate collective is live. We have our first event today. We have our very first event today talking about the purpose of the living corporate collective, which is this virtual community of talent leaders focused on matters of workplace fairness really meant to be a place where we don't just like admire problems, but where we share, collaborate, and innovate together. You know, there are plenty of other spaces out there that that popped up after the murder of George Floyd and have sizzled since then or fizzled, my bad. There was a lot of sizzle, not a lot of steak, but they fizzled since then. I'm excited about creating a dedicated, consistent space where we're having conversations and facilitating dynamic discussions around matters that are relevant to employee fairness, equity, inclusion. I'm excited about the fact that we were able to work with Lori Spicer-Robertson, who is the CEO and founder of the DEI Collective. I'm thankful for her willingness to share her platform and space as we build something together. I'm excited about the dozens of people that have signed up and I'm thankful and super excited for uh, Dr. Janisha white, who is living corporates head of corporate community. And I'm thankful for the fact that we have a dedicated website, living corporate.com. That's right. Please say the dash backslash collective. And if you register, you will have access to this space, right? It is a, it is an act. It is a, Registrant only space, so everyone can't everyone can't just click it and see it. If you click it and you're not and you don't have permissions, it's gonna say, "Oops, you need permission to access this content." But the the sign up is literally free. All you need to do is register uh, with your LinkedIn and fill out a very quick form. It's like literally 15 seconds. And we're gonna be doing a lot of stuff in there between sharing resources and research, between having a bunch of different calls on a monthly basis. And then also between, and then also cataloging all of our past calls, so you can go back and you can look at the discussions that we've had to date. And the reason why we want to make it secure is because we want it to be a safe place for, or a brave space. I'll say, we want it to be a brave space for leaders who are trying to do the right thing in this season. And frankly, because of this culture, this moment that we're in, where there's just fear and anxiety about doing anything that would seem to create any level of fairness for anybody other than the majority, people are nervous. People are looking for guidance. And so I'm excited about us coming together and having really frank conversations about that and about, and frankly giving space to one another for us all to talk and learn from one another. And so like that's the living corporate collective, you know, the other thing that we got going on is our learning platform. We're going to be sharing more and more about our e-learning platform. We're excited about the folks that have already signed up. Some of the brands that we're working with who have already signed up. We're excited to host some webinars and some some different spotlights to talk about what we're doing in that space. And I'm excited for y'all to see and y'all to journey with us as we continue to grow. Okay. All that being said, um, I want to make sure that y'all click the links in the show notes. Okay. Learn more about everything we got going on by clicking the link in the show notes. Oh, shoot. And I almost forgot. And I'm excited about our Kickstarter. Okay. I'm excited about the fact that, you know, about a, about a, about a week and a half ago, we actually did launch um, our second Kickstarter. If y'all don't remember, unless you forgot, it's okay. Because this was back in 2020. A lot of stuff was going on. I don't know. 2020 also feels like yesterday. But anyway, in 2020, we launched our first Kickstarter and it went incredibly well, right? We had a very small goal and it was overfunded by 410%. We launched a Kickstarter about a week and a half ago, really um, in in the spirit of brand awareness and kind of getting our name out there. And I'm appreciative of the fact that creative capital, a member of Kickstarter's forward funds program has backed our project. Okay. Uh, For those who don't know um, Kickstarter, um, is Kickstarter has a a forward funds program, and what they do is um, they select and back creators that align with their vision for a more creative and equitable world, right? And so, um, and they've specifically backed Black and Brown, uh, historically marginalized creators in the U.S. And so, I'm thankful um, that, and I'm excited that we've received a pledge from them on kickstarter and you know i want to make sure that y'all know that we have a kickstarter not only support it but really to tell other people about what's going on we have a whole explainer video in there you got my voice and i'm like a little cartoon i'm moving all around so just make sure you check it out like we have a lot of stuff going on click the link in the show notes the links in the show notes to learn more but it's all in there okay anyway all that being said (laughs) we're gonna pay some bills and we're gonna get in this conversation with latasha head of DEI at Amazon Studios. We'll see you in a second. This podcast, Living Corporate, it's brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online, whether you're just starting out or managing a growing brand. Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website, engage with the audience, and sell anything from products to content to time, all in one place, on your terms. Let me tell you something. Y'all might not know this, but Living Corporate, we started our whole journey on Squarespace. My website, ZacharyNone.com, it's on Squarespace. I can't tell you how much I appreciate its fluid engine, the ability to create world-class templates and design. It's very intuitive, incredible. We have custom merch through our Squarespace. We have an incredible asset library, so I can always mix it up, switch and swap. It's super dope. And the fact that you can host all types of content, video, audio, all types of media, you can put all in your Squarespace. I can't recommend it enough. If you wanna learn more about Squarespace, check out squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch go to squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain again that's squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain latasha welcome to the show how you doing
2: I am doing great. Thank you for having me.
1: Listen, thank you for being. I guess, look, you know, I, we're, we're gonna we're going to talk about your current role uh, soon. But first, were there any critical or personal career experiences that shaped your you Because I see you, right? Like I see you on the. I see your face on like you know, big spreads and features and stuff, right? Like you outside. You're the you're. the <laughs> You're you're the you're the head of DI for a huge for a multinational brand for one for the lar- I'm gonna say arguably top three largest brands in the world. But like, both, like before we got to Natasha, and how she is today, like what what shaped you like if you were to say like this was a movie, this was a like, what were those moments that shaped you to be where you are.
2: Uh, well, a lot. I think, um, thank you for having me again. This is uh, super fun. I'm excited to be here. You're doing amazing work. I got some questions for you too, so, uh, but I'm going to answer yours first. Um, I uh, I will tell you that, you know, my family, um, my father being uh, who he is and um, always instilled in me as a little girl that my voice mattered at a young age, that really helped carry me All the way through school, all the way through college, and and into the corporate world, and then most importantly, my faith. Just knowing that I am here on assignment, and I have an assignment to do, and I know who I am and whose I am. So, so those things anchor me. Uh, But I'll tell you an interesting corporate experience I had that kind of really, (laughs) I would say, shifted my perspective, but it kind of jolted my perspective. Uh, My previous company, we were having a a women's leadership summit and we had a variety of speakers coming. And this one particular panel had these two women on it. One uh, was a partner at EY who I knew very well. And the other woman was um, actually in the sports and entertainment world, you know, as a CFO or or I don't remember her exact title, but pretty high up in in one of the major leagues. And, uh, And I'm listening to these two women talk and I remember them talking about uh, what they would do, or, or when they realize an organization, you know, doesn't have their best interests at heart, or is not set up for them to succeed, they leave. And I'm sitting here like, huh? And and, and one of the, I'm like, I've, I've never been in an organization that was set up for somebody that looks like me to be successful. And I'm listening to these white women, let me say that, these two white women having that conversation, and and their freedom of opportunity, right? And now one of them I know really well, like I said, she was a partner at EY, so I know that her she is a stay-at-home husband, so I know she's the breadwinner. And I didn't have a stay-at-home husband, but my husband was a, was a 20-year elementary school teacher, and y'all know y'all don't pay teachers enough. Not at all. Not at all. So I'm listening to these two women, and I know one of them is in a similar boat as I am as, as I was in. And I'm, I'm listening to her just be so... And I'm sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? I got a mortgage. I got family that depends on me. I got this and I got that. And when I heard these women, it jolted me. And I had to stop and say, why am I not, and why am I not thinking like that? Why are the women who look like me, who I'm having this conversation with on a daily basis, not thinking like that? Why do we feel like we have to stay somewhere? And it was the first time that I really, you know, got out of this mindset of really uh, playing it safe. And I had to ask myself, you know, what's the risk? What's the what's the worst thing that could happen if I show up every day, 100% authentically me, always professional, but, ne- but stop doing the mental gymnastics in my head about how people are going to take the things I say? What would happen if I did the thing that was hard, but was right, but required courage, knowing that the outcome could have been negative for me personally? What's the worst thing that could happen? And when I start really dialing in and 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 going through with the worst thing that could happen, Zach, I turned the light up. I turn the light on the boogeyman. Come on. Because I was like, the only thing you can do is fire me. That's okay. it. Okay. That's, That's it. That's it. You ain't gonna stop my mama from loving me. You ain't gonna. That ain't gonna make my husband leave me. That ain't gonna make my children see me any differently. That ain't gonna Come make on. my friends stop picking up the phone. The worst thing you could do is fire me. But I will be living authentically, me.
1: Come on. You, you know what, Natasha? So first of all, you know I. I, I can tell. I can. I could feel the intensity in my microphone. I knew Come was on. Church, you know what ah. I'm you said you talk about who's I am. I almost I had to pull out. I had to ask my uh, my keyboard and organist to go ahead and. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like, well, "I'm about to Boy, Come on no, now!"
2: My back, Zach, I'm about I to was...
1: pull out the tambourine, also. I'm
2: boy. It's I going... will give you. Listen, <laughs> I give you a good one foot shot over here. I
1: could tell those. You had some pregnant pauses while you were talking to us. I said, "Oh, she's preaching." Okay, so no, no. So let me say. <laughs> So let me say this is, I love this because a hundred percent, right? Like there's this, I've 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 experienced something similar, and notice something. Similar. There's this deep fear yeah. that a lot of folks have. So I'm not a black woman, right? So I, but I, but I will say I empathize, and I'll say that black men carry it too. Black men also, uh, we 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 have school. we there's some things we, we need to change. We need to power, but so that's all a mm-hmm. separate conversation. The point is, yeah there's this fear there's this fear that we have <laughs> there's this fear that we have as it pertains to like we feel like we just have to stay in situations that one don't honor our time don't honor our mm-hmm. gifts don't honor yeah. our purpose and don't mm-hmm. honor our person and Ooh. there's this like just like there's this thing we just feel like we just we shackle ourselves to these things so i'm right there with you it's funny because i, I would tell people This kind of happened to me about five years ago. How can I be more authentic every day? Like, so I'm a, I'm, yeah, I'm as like, okay, I'm authentic. How can I? Let's, I want to challenge myself. Let's, let's say I feel I, I believe that I am walking in the most authentic version of myself. But what does it look like for me to push myself to be even more authentic tomorrow? Right. And and that's so. So I love that. And you're also your point around your point around like, what is the worst that can happen? I think we, we. up in our heads, like, yo, like this job is everything. If this I don't everything. Have a job, everything,
2: everything, right? And it's not, it's and not. and and if we sometimes can embrace the fact that if that window closes, or sorry, if that door closes, there's a window waiting for us. Come on, you know what I mean? And I Come think it, it, sometimes we have to be pushed into those situations where or somewhere where it's either not where where it's toxic, or to your point, it's just not honoring your purpose. There's something greater we've been called to do, but a lot of times we like to sit back in the comfort of what we know, even when it's even when the comfort ain't even really comfortable.
1: Come on, hey, real talk, and that's a hundred percent. You know, now because I don't want you to lose it, you said you had some questions for me, so I'm gonna give you some space to ask your questions to me.
2: <laughs> uh. <laughs> I want to know what part of Mississippi you from. See, i do my research too.
1: Uh, okay. So yeah, so look, both so I was born in Rome, Georgia, but both both sides of my family are bo- are from Mississippi. So my mom was born in Ridgeland. Um, okay. And she went to two Toug- she went to Tougaloo. Tougaloo? And then, Okay. Yeah, and then my dad was also born in Ridgeland and he went to Jackson State.
2: Got it. Okay.
1: So, okay. So yeah, so like yes, yeah, so yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Um a lot of my family still live in Mississippi. Half of yeah. my dad's side moved to Rock Island, Illinois, which is like part of the Quad Cities. I, if you
2: know, I right. know where that's at. Okay, I lived in up. Peoria for like uh, <sighs> right.
1: Oh, this but is like, too crazy!
2: It's crazy, crazy because I'm gonna tell you. I'm sorry, you said your dad moved to Rock Island, and then you were about to say something about your mom. Where she my
1: mom? My mom. So my mom. My mom moved around. She's now. She's now. She's actually a principal in Dallas, but she was background education. She was. In, she's been in education for the past what like, thirty five, thirty six years. Um, my wife is an educator. Wow, so you. so yeah. So like there's a clearly there's a lot of synergy here. I, I ain't know all that, so that's crazy.
2: So my father was born and raised in Memphis, South Memphis. Okay. My my mother was born and raised in Holly Springs, Mississippi. Or as we say Holly Springs. Yes. And uh so so I had a lot of cousins that went to Rust. Rust College wow. and, and yep, in and, and Holly Springs. And now uh and then for Two and a half years, my job actually sent me uh, down south, and I was living in Olive Branch. Oh, wow. Yep. I worked in Corinth, Mississippi, or as we say, Corinth. Yes, Corinth. And <laughs> <Karen>. and-, <laughs> and I lived in Olive Branch. Yep.
1: Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so it's funny, right? Like, not to, like, go too off on of a tangent. What, I, what I'm realizing is, so I'm extremely country, right? But mm-hmm. But people who make, like, people who just kind of, like, see me off the street or whatever, like, they presume so many things. Um, and there's, like, this interesting thing, like, I do want to talk about prior to another conversation. Like, the diaspora, like, the black diaspora, like, just the black American diaspora, it's yeah. really different, right? So, like, you meet, like, southern black people, yep. like, compared to, like, East Coast versus West Coast black people to, like, black yeah, It's genuinely, like, different cultures. Um, and so it's just, it's been really, like, a journey, even, like, with Living Corporate the past five years, just talking and engaging now of course as a consultant i was like consultant pwc and accenture and capgemini so like i've met a whole bunch of different people don't get me wrong it's right. just very very interesting as you engage like corporate black professionals from different mm-hmm. spaces like they genuinely yeah. do move a little different each one each they do moves.
2: and pacific northwest black people are a whole different kind of different
1: so i've been told <laughs> <laughs>
2: But I think to your point around that diaspora, though, but I think a lot of that feeds into even how we show up into the workplace. And so for a lot of folks with very Southern roots, very rural Southern roots. Yes. Right. Because it's a different difference it, with very rural Southern roots. Like when you hit, you know, the PwC, the Capgemini, the Caterpillar, the Amazon, like you don't go lead those good jobs.
1: Right. Exactly. Right. You're, yes. You're talk- <laughs> hey, you got It's almost like, yo, you caught something. Yeah, don't let it go. Absolutely right.
2: You they look at you crazy if you're like, no, 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 I'm moving on and I'm doing my own thing or whatever it is, and they're like,
1: what? What? Yeah. Let me tell you. Now it took a while, right? But like, so I I just now recently made the decision to exit my nine to five and really focus on living corporate full time because we've been going now. Congratulations! Thank you so much. Right? So we we and we built some really great partnerships, relationships, and it just everything made sense. But yeah. I'm going to tell you, the truth of the matter is probably if my cultural context had been different, and to, like I'm not even talking yeah. about if I was white, right. I'm talking about like just if my, if I was maybe a different space or whatever, I probably would have made the jump like three years ago. Yep. But I was like, nah, let me make sure that everything, mm-hmm. let me get, I, I need extra, extra saving. Okay, I need this call yeah. to be at this level. I need yep. revenue, you know, so, so I, yep. I'm, right, I'm right there with you. Now look, Look, we're gonna keep on going. We're gonna run out of time. I told you I was gonna honor this time. So here we go. <laughs> You've been with Amazon since 2017. I'm curious, like, what has what drew you to Amazon? And then what's what's keeping you here six years late?
2: Listen, it's this exact conversation we're having, though, because um I knew that I had been in Amazon or sorry, I had been in Caterpillar for 20 years, six months, two weeks, and two days. Yeah. Right. Um, and it was interesting for me because it was so I would tell you how it started. It started 10 years, probably. Uh, OK, maybe not 10. I'm exaggerating. Maybe five or six years before I actually left. I was in I, I was living in San Diego, working for Caterpillar. And I had just went to this um, pin celebration. So when someone had a monumental um, year, like 15 years, 20 years, 25, whatever, you would get the, you would get a pin. And this woman was getting her pen. She had been with the company 45 years. Wow. 45. In the manufacturing plant. Like, she worked out on the lawn. Wow. Betty. Yep. And I remember going home that evening in my kitchen, and I was like, oh, I wonder who's going to come to my 30-year pen. Now I'm thinking about my 30-year pen at this point, which is like 10-plus years down the road, right? Wow. I'm like... I I wonder who's going to come to my 30 year pen. And I wonder if such and such will still be around. And I'm going through this all in my head. And I remember I heard the voice of God say, don't be so sure about that. I was like, what you mean? What, 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 what do you mean, Jesus? Hold up. He was like, I'm just saying, don't be so sure about that. And that was the first. And I and because of who I am and how I operate, God knows sometimes I can be stubborn. So He has to give me time with things. Sure. So He planted, dropped that seed right there to be like, this. You may not be there thirty years. Don't count on it. And and that was interesting because a lot of caterpillar people were lifers. So I started. So I I said that day, I said, Lord, um, let me hear the whisper. So if if I'm supposed to turn left, turn right, do something different let me hear the whisper. Because I think what often happens is when we ignore or are too busy to hear the whisper, then we slam into the brick wall. And then it becomes a forcing function for you to go do something that you were supposed to do back when he was whispering. And I was like, I don't want the forcing function. Let me hear the whisper. And so fast forward, um, I was in Singapore working. I was supposed to be there for three to five years. Uh, this was like 2015. And, uh, yeah. And I, and I said, then I was like, huh, I have a window. I have a window in which I'm either going to make a decision to stay here for life or leave. Mm-hmm. And it was based on like my age and how many more years I thought I wanted to work. And I was like, cause at some point you're going to be too deep in here and you're not going to be able to go anywhere else because you know, other folks might not see you being able to transition into a different space. So I said, okay, you know, and I told God, I was like, if it's for me, let me know that I know that I know that I know. Mm. And a series of different events happened and they gave me, they they gave me the sense that, okay, it might be time for you to be open to something different. Mm. And I didn't actively do anything, but I, but I was getting my mind ready. Like, okay, you, you might need to be open to something different. Amazon called me and I'm in Singapore on an expat assignment living my best life. My oldest son was graduating from high school. We were about to take him to Howard in the fall. And they were like, Hey, you know, we want to talk to you about this, you know, coming to Amazon. I'm going to be in town. Such and, such a day. and I was like, sure. So I meet up with a guy for drinks and we're talking and we're having the conversation. And at the end of the conversation, I'm like, I feel like you're trying to talk me out of this job. He's like, actually I am. I think this job is too small for you, but I do think you should be an Amazonian. And I was like, well, we'll see. So, I, you know, when I when I took my son to, to college for in the summer to go to Howard, they asked me what I, if I'd fly to Seattle. And I said, yes. And it was in that conversation that I saw all of the interesting possibilities. And I thought if a company can create stores where you can shop and not have to have a cashier, then clearly y'all can do something about d Come on. now. So I just thought it was an exciting opportunity. I was scared. I was nervous. I I was on a texting basis with my outgoing CEO, like, I'm sorry, with my, yeah, we were actually going through a CEO transition at Caterpillar, and I had a relationship with the outgoing and the incoming CEO, because I had worked for him several times before, before he got that high, Um, and I had supported him as his HR director and whatnot, so, like, I knew both of them really well, you know, personable, and, you know, I knew where all the bodies were buried, like, I was good. Yeah. And the fact that I was good made me say, That's exactly why you need to leap. Wow. So if it's not scaring you, then then you're not in the right place. And I and I always tell people, young people, like if you're not living life on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And so mm-hmm. I had to tell myself. Yeah, and yeah. and that actually was yeah.
1: No, I cut you off. Mm-hmm.
2: No, that was the precipice of me saying yes to that. But it was interesting because And actually six months even before that happened, Amazon called me and I told them, you know what, Uh, I want to I want my youngest son to graduate here while we live in Singapore to call me in two years. That's what I told them originally. Mm. And then the guy called back and actually said, well, we actually have something in Singapore. You know, let me talk to you about it. And I was like, "Okay," And that's when we met up. But but it ended up being the Seattle role. And I think the thing that has kept me here more than anything else really is the fact that, you know, listen, corporate America is corporate America. I don't I don't care whose name is on the door. I don't care what values and missions you have on the wall. To, to a large degree, you know, corporate America is corporate America. But I but I think that the thing that makes this work for me is the people that I get to do this work with.
1: Hmm.
2: And and I work for an amazing woman who like she's the first leader I've ever worked for that I didn't have to script with D and I talking points.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. And,
1: uh, so I met I appreciate- act, so good for you. Yes.
2: Uh, right, and I have I have managed to build a function that didn't exist before I got into this role. So this is my second role at Amazon. I started off leading DEI for Amazon Corporate, where I got to work really closely with Jeff Bezos and his direct reports, and and launch a strategy back in 2017 uh, and 18 because we hadn't had one, and that was an amazing experience. I learned so much just by being in the room right um with folks like that and so that that was an incredible that was like that was like graduate school sitting in those meetings listening to the questions jeff would ask and then when i got asked to come down to amazon studios um a couple years in i came down here and i got to build this function from nothing we didn't have a dei function for content so i don't do hr work at all my team is responsible for representation in front of and behind the camera above and below the line making sure that we don't perpetuate harmful stereotypes and tropes and making sure that, you know, every production is accessible to, uh, to all people. So, so that's fun, like building something from the ground up and then getting a bunch of amazing, super talented, smarter than I am people around me to help, you know, take it to the next level. That's been a blast.
1: Living corporate is brought to you by Rosetta stone, the most trusted language learning program. It's incredible. Okay, so first off, you didn't know Rosetta Stone is a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They have fast language acquisition, meaning you're actually going to pick up the language because it's going to provide an immersive experience for you through their program. Speech recognition gives you a trainer for your accent. Convenient, right? You can use it on your computer. You can use it on your phone. Incredible value. Lifetime membership has all languages for any and all trips or language needs in life. That's lifetime access to 25 language courses Rosetta Stone's offers for 50% off. That's a steal, y'all. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Living Corporate listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com backslash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosentastone.com backslash today, today. That's incredible. You know, um to that end, right? To the point of like the, like really like the core mission and function of your work. Let's talk about the intersection of diversity and creativity, especially in this season where um diversity and inclusion is like under Incredible attack, and I'm not saying that diversity inclusion is not historically an attack. I mean, honestly, if you look at like the history of this country, pretty much like since 1968, yeah. like there's been subversive efforts to basically, reach, yeah, retract, um, yeah, and, and even and honestly, even if you think historically before that, like after the passage of the the 13th and 14th Amendment, there's been really like like it's, yeah. it's been this cyclical uh, motion of progress and retreat. So but all that being said, um do you think it's understated how valuable having folks from different perspectives and experiences is to the creative process? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um can you give me an example of like, you know, where you've seen like wow, this wouldn't have been this way or this wouldn't have looked this way or this wouldn't have been the experience if we didn't have some level of diversity, gender, generational racial uh, orientation like do you have anything where you've seen it like wow in real time like this is exactly why we do what we do
2: listen i mean <clears throat> excuse me it's in every part of every aspect of the creative process really is a you know a benefit and matter of fact my team we, we've been doing some studies looking at what happens when you're above the line decision makers right uh, are diverse in nature in terms of there's gender diversity, racial diversity, um, sexual identity orientation diversity. Like you see a difference in in every other part, you see a difference in everybody they hire. You see a difference in everybody who's on camera. Like you see a complete difference across the board. But I'll give you a couple real life examples that we funny that we have been talking about these recently. So Lord of the Rings, one of our biggest shows. Yeah. The breakout star in that show has been Ishmael Cruz, an Afro-Latino, a black man from Puerto Rico, yeah. which me and he's the first person of color to play an elven role, which in the Tolkien universe is a huge deal. Right. Yes. But yeah. as an Afro-Latino, that brother turns four different shades of brown, depending on what time of year it is right? And so when you think about the importance of having even the technical crew, like the makeup and lighting people who understand that so when you see this beautiful black man with those elven ears, right, those prosthetics that they have to put on and make him look that way, that it actually blends and matches and looks like his skin. And, And what we don't understand is for an actor the ability to know that someone knows what they're doing on things like that, give them the freedom to fully engulf themselves or, you know, into the character. Because if I'm worried about whether or not you can see my ears, the prosthetics on my face, or they don't match my real skin tone, it's hard for me to really be fully invested into this character and give you my best performance if I'm subcon- uh, self-conscious about the way I look.
1: Right, right. Right?
2: And so, you know, that is super important. You think Swarm, huge breakout show for us with Dominique Fishback, Right.
1: Yeah.
2: Like Swarm was it, like you couldn't have done that show had it not been one for the creative mind of a Donald Glover. No, nobody else could have done that story.
1: Right?
2: 100%. That's the creative mind of a Donald Glover. But even with that, this show was centered around young women, this pop culture uh, phenomenon. And he was smart enough to have a co-creator with him, Janine Neighbors who is a talented, you know, brilliant black woman. And most people don't know this, Malia Obama was in the writer's room. So I think, you know, having diverse perspectives and experiences is is so critical to the creative process. I mean, everything from in front of the camera to to the story itself. You know, one of our biggest shows in the past year has been Lord of the Rings. Ismael Cruz is our breakout star in that show. And he is the first, you know, person of color to play one of the elven roles in the Tolkien universe, which is just incredible, right? It's, it's, it's a huge deal. And as an Afro Latino man, cause his brother's from Puerto Rico, he turns four different shades of brown between, you know, depending on what time of year it is. So mm-hmm. for him, like it's super important that we have the right makeup folks that are doing his prosthetic ears. We have the right lighting people that understand how to light him depending on what time of the year. Because when he is confident in how he looks and looks and feels and embodies that character, he's going to give you the best performance ever. But if he's worried about whether or not you can see the the prosthetics on his face and whether or not they blend in or they look like a different color, it's hard for him to relax and just flow into the role of the character. So, you know, that's important. It's important in the writer's room, especially when you're trying to tell a story that's not yours. So I love the fact Gloria Calderon Colette, wonderful, talented, creator, writer, very sensitive and smart. With Love, her show on um, Amazon, is called With Love, they have such an amazing story of this multi-generational family. And in that family is a trans woman who is a doctor. And Gloria is smart enough to know that's not my lived experience. So I need to have a writer's room that includes right? People who either identify as trans or non-binary or on the LGBTQ spectrum. Like, I need that real-life experience in that writer's room to make sure we get this character right. And she's done a beautiful job with it. And because of that, you see a woman who's a physician. You don't see a trans trope. Hmm. Breakout show Swarm. Did you see Swarm, Zach?
0: I did. I did.
2: Yo. Dominique Fishback killed that, literally. <laughs> and <laughs> Right? Yes. You couldn't have got a pop culture phenom show like Swarm without the mind of a Donald Glover. Like it takes somebody in that world that understands that. But he was also smart enough to know we're telling the story from a woman's perspective. He had a co-creator, Janine Neighbors, who was brilliant and talented in her own right. And they even, again, it's a young, it's a YA perspective at that, which is also important, which Donald isn't anymore. None of us are. We we long for those days. But <laughs> a, a lot of people don't know Malia Obama was in that writer's room.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then my, my the thing I'm binging uh, at the moment is Summer I Turned Pretty with Jenny Han. Um, yeah. Jenny Han is a brilliant Asian woman who is is steeped and and an expert in the YA space. She writes her novels from that. Uh, her movies have been fantastic. I'm enjoying the series, and again, it's because she's smart enough to understand what her lived experience is and how to how to bring that to life on camera. I just think that we all listen. I'm a little black girl from Chicago. That's the lived experience I can give you.
1: I love that. I, I love can't that. give
2: yeah. I can't give you someone else's, and I have to be smart enough to know. I need to surround myself with other people to make sure that we're authentically telling these stories. Because I'm going to tell you, if we do this work right, if we do it right, what happens is we entertain you. Like you're talking about Swarm. You're talking about Lord of the Rings. Like this is a must-see show. I love this. You're talking about it. But also, not only are we entertaining you, if we do our jobs right, we're increasing humanity just a little bit.
1: Come on. Real talk, though. You know, it's yeah. so there's something there, right? Like, even like when I think about living corporate, my biggest thing was I, I st- we started by saying, Look, we just want to tell authentic stories and like really center and amplify historically marginalized voices. Like, what does it look like to have authentic conversations about diversity and inclusion? Even if we don't use all those words all the time. Yeah. And like, and I just, there's something in me, Latasha. I had no, I didn't do any market research. I didn't, do a bunch of surveys i didn't do any of that something that just told me like look if you sit down with people who yeah. are from historically marginalized backgrounds or even from majority but you really focus and talk about how these environments need to shift and change for the benefit of the most marginalized which then uh, a rising tide lifts all boats if you yeah. sit back and you have conversations um where you're really centering those stories and those voices those experiences people are going to be attracted to that and they're going to get things from it right because like you're absolutely right like authenticity is entertaining right like people enjoy i think like now side note random but i really (laughs) now now drake drake is like in this new like kind of like villain era but like i really enjoyed drake early on because he was vulnerable right a lot of people liked that right like that was attractive right the idea of like yo i'm I'm sad, I'm drunk, about to call my ex-girl and, and be upset because I wanted to get back with me. Like people are like, oh, that's that's weak. It's like, well, no, that's authentic. Like there's there's something relatable and engaging there. And I think like we're in this era where I see a lot of people reclaiming their power, and they're reclaiming their power through being authentic, through being honest, yeah. through being honest. And so like a hundred percent, like these stories, the, the some the stories that you mentioned, like what sticks out for them to me is their authenticity of man i really i really can resonate with i can tell that there's a genuine performance happening here it's not necessarily um uh, this veneer of whatever it's honest as you know i I can i'm seeing something that i know is real and real recognize real so
2: exactly real listen have you ever watched a show where you like hmm i can tell nobody from this
1: yo so i'm not right because i'm not messy. I'm not gonna say, but yes,
2: <laughs>
1: uh, there's some shows where I was like, there was a, there's a bunch of us on screen. And I'm like,
2: who oh, wrote mm. oh,
1: oh, this? Oh,
2: this is oh. Zach, my line is, who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> who
1: thought this was a good idea? And then because I, cause, and then I was because there'd be times when I look at these trailers for these shows, I look at my wife and I say, I know that there probably was at least one. Ambiguous person in the writing room who said, "Hey, we shouldn't <laughs> do this," and y'all said, what?
2: "Go ahead and listen." And y'all said, "We we got this. We know better.
1: <laughs> yes, like
2: no, it's gonna land. Trust me. Like, how? and you, you, what lived experience do you have that tells you that? that that that's my new favorite line when I'm the only in the room." And somebody tries to tell me what women think or what Black people think, yes. you know, or what chicks with natural hair think. I'd be yeah. like, and "Tell me what lived experience you have that tells Informs you that, that that's
1: accurate." Yeah,
2: yeah. How, how, how should you get there?
1: Okay, so how, to that yeah. end, to that end, right? Like, you know, I want to talk about Amazon Studios a little bit more. In 2021, you uh-huh. implemented a DEI a D&I strategy and a playbook. Now, look, we've seen expansion and contraction in the D DNI space for a long time. Like, like to be clear, right? From when diversity inclusion was really, like, affirmative, like, just called affirmative action, to you know, all these permutations of DEI, DI, IND, Jedi, whatever the <laughs> case is. <laughs> We've seen expansion and contraction, but the last three years, I, I believe the vacillations have been more extreme than, um, than other seasons. How, if what do at mean? all... What I mean by that is, so... <clears throat> So so, let's quick story time, Natasha. So you know, back like right before George Floyd was murdered. By the way, George Floyd, he and I were in the same ministry, local Houston ministry, when he lived down here in Houston, because he would go to CUNY oh, Homes wow. Third Ward. So like we have all we have a bunch of mutual friends. Um, and then oh, his, wow, right? And then his murderer actually lived fifteen minutes away from my dad because my dad lives in Minnesota. So when oh, all the God. protests and stuff were happening, they were picking it in front of that man's house. That was, like, literally 15 minutes up, to, up the street from my pop. So very all of it very close to home. Because um, yeah. I remember people called him Big George. Like, it was a whole, I re- like, I remember. Um, but the point is, is that um, right before that happened, I remember Living Corporate was reaching out, hey, we'd like to interview so-and-so. Hey, can we work with you? Can work with that? And people were telling me on the coup, hey, we just slashed our DMV budget. Hey, we just let this person go. Or I'd be emailing somebody and I'd get a bounce back and then as soon as George Floyd that the murder of George Floyd was happened and was televised those same brands would come back or i would see all they mm-hmm. actually like reinvested in the bar. so that's what i mean about like expansion and contraction is like i would say mm-hmm. late 2019 early 2020 dna yeah. was getting deprioritized we saw it uh, get like aggressively exponentially ramped back up and then yeah. now we're seeing now we're seeing it contract, right, right? We're seeing, we're seeing it contract again. So I, yeah. I, I'm curious how, if at all, your initial strategy and playbook is adapting in light of just everything that we're looking at political landscape, election coming up in the year. I'm curious about. That.
2: Yeah, well, and actually, I'm a, I'm gonna make one correction. That strategy actually came about well before, um, what well before you saw it launched publicly. Fair. So, and again, that's where you gotta, you gotta be in the right organization with the right kind of leaders, because we had actually had implemented internally those same policies, many of those same policies we did add to it, but most of those policies had been implemented internally back in 2019. Mm. Yep. Before the murder of George Floyd. And I appreciate that you all, every time you have said it, you have said the murder of George Floyd. And I think we have to remember that. So thank you. So yeah, most of those things were, were codified and, and shared internally only. And after the murder of George Floyd, we realized that it was really important to be public and transparent about those policies. And so that's why we actually released the inclusion policy and playbook uh, in a format that we did a lot of work also with our creators, uh, our external partners. So like, You know, the Daniel Day Kims, the Gloria Calderon Collettes, the Viola Davises. Like, we we actually sat down with those folks and said, listen, if you're going to, you know, do work with Amazon Studios, then we're asking you to hold hands and do this together with us. Like, this is what we want to do. And it was great when you had people like Greg Daniels, who is a fantastic creator of some of the biggest shows you've ever seen.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Right. You know, Parks and Rec and. Right, so people people love his work, and yeah. for him to say thank you, like I've I've been wanting to do better, but I wasn't sure what good looked like. This at least gives me a roadmap,
1: mm.
2: you know. And yeah. so, I, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, that was really important for us to roll that out and be transparent. And we're constantly listen. The thing about a, a mechanism and Amazon is huge on mechanisms. Mm. Is a mechanism is where you know you 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 have inputs and tools you know, you have something that you fix and then you have outputs and you have to constantly be evaluating those outputs to ask, is the mechanism still working? Hmm. And so if, if you don't audit and regularly adapt and update a mechanism, then you just have bureaucracy.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's no longer a mechanism. It's just red tape. So you have to constantly be asking yourself, is this doing what it set out to do? And if it's not, how are you adapting and adjusting? And that's the thing I love about some of the Amazon kind of quirky ways, peculiar ways of doing things. That uh, it's stuff like that that challenges you to 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 look into that and to constantly be unafraid to be like, "Yep, we thought that was right. We now have the data, and we realize we're wrong. We're pivoting this." This. So you know, if luckily for us, we're not pivoting, but it is is allowing us to fine tune. And say, this is what we thought in this particular area. But now that we have years of data, we can actually, you know, say that we we think there's a better way to do this. And so we're going to change that target or we're going to change that metric to look like this.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting, like to that end. it. So. I come from I come from like really cut my teeth in consulting for real. Right. So like and yeah. so much of it's change management. And so part of change management is that current impact assessment. Current, the change impact. Sorry, the change impact analysis. Forgive me. So it's like when you yeah. think about like, hey, where are we at today? But if there's a level of analysis, current state assessment, um, and yeah. frankly, like data analysis that comes into all of this, so that you can yeah. actually be informed on what you, how you need to progress forward. What excites me is what I'm hearing is you do that. Like well, you're 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 you're. It's not about like using a bunch of like random jargon to then create a strategy. No, you want to be objective and data informed with where you're yeah. starting so that you can actually come up yeah. with some, some KPIs that make sense. And yeah. Drive business forward. Yeah. Cause,
2: yeah. Cause I can now tell you unequivocally that when you have diversity in those, you know, what we call ATL above the line mm-hmm. decision-making seats, right. And there's a handful of them, right. Director, showrunner, produ- when you have diversity in those chairs, this is how it affects the diversity of the whole project. Right. Yeah. And, and and I and to your point, though, the problem, and this is why DEI has such a bad rep, because if you only want to do, un, you know, unconscious bias training, what actually, it doesn't even work. Harvard Business Review did a study and showed that companies that mandated mandatory training and unconscious bias training, five years later, they had worse results in terms of diversity in their ranks than companies
1: who didn't. Uh, not even shocking, because not I, even it's not shocking at all latasha i mean like here's the reality right it's like we have been doing we've been like rinsing by we i mean like just this space like a lot of yeah. rinse and repeat of the same things right like okay and well unconscious body yeah. training and um and 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 then like i think what's what was really frustrating for me just like, observationally, right like um after the murder of george floyd like you have all these new actors coming in literally like trying to attack and shame white folks in charge saying well you're a white supremacist and this is why your whiteness is bad and you need to reject this and you're in you're making some you're you're individualizing and antagonizing people and then getting upset when they go well this doesn't work we'll say well yeah that doesn't work what are you actually trying to what are you trying to (laughs) build right like so so my camera's off but you know, one of the people like one of the people that I have in the background is um is Kwame Torre, right? And so Kwame Torre yeah. was talking about how he's like, you know, revolutionary some some people call themselves sort of revolutionaries, but all they talk about is destroying, 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 destroying. It's like that's you're not a yes. revolutionary. You gotta be thinking about how you build things. And so I'm not yes. a, I'm not saying to coddle coddle folks, I'm not saying that. What I am articulating what I'm trying to aim to articulate is like be data informed of whatever it is you say and do. That's I, right. That way your recommendations can have some weight and then frankly, look like <laughs> have some grace and some self awareness when making yeah. recommendations so that you can actually move things forward, right? Like none of the organizations that you step into are going to like suddenly be all Latino or all no. like, or all South Asian. Like they're going like right. so what does it look like to work in a in a way that builds coalition and partnership so you can actually move forward? And while while at the same time not being inauthentic, going back to the top. So
2: that's right. And also not, and also understanding that you don't be performative either. Right. So like the whole Rooney rule, the Rooney rule actually doesn't work. If you only have, listen, and again, you can look it up in Harvard business review. People have studied these things. When you try to hire and there's one person, one applicant that is different from all the others they have a 0% chance of getting hired statistically Mm -hmm. now. And it goes back to first grade when your teacher gave you that paper and it had two apples and an orange. And it said, one of these things is not like the other. Which one is it? Right. Human nature, when one thing sticks out and is different, we, we naturally reject it, which is why, when you talked about the one ambiguous person in a writer's room, it's the reason why you can't have one. Hmm. You need at least 30% to get any kind of monumental change. Because if you get 30%, then that one person has additional allies. And then if each of those people in there make another ally, now the room is more like 60% of people who are either championing or, or advocating for inclusion. 100%. 100%. Now, yeah. no,
1: keep going. No, no, no. You so, know
2: me, I, you know.
1: <laughs> okay, so um, before I get to the last question, I have one more question before. So we only you,
2: got oh, because like, we only got one more.
1: <laughs> you look at the time. I, I told you we're gonna the time. So okay, we, 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 you can always come back. So you're you're welcome. Okay. You. So is there anything you're hope you're holding hope for in your role and the work between now and twenty twenty?
2: Yeah, I actually, you know, I don't think we need another D I A B D C E F G acronym or name. I I I actually hope that our work really is about a growth strategy. Right? I I really hope that we Listen, there is a need in this world for social justice and equity work. 100% that should happen in this but to your point around and this is just my opinion and mine alone, don't dm me, don't email me, I reserve the right to my opinion is i I think though, in the spaces that we're in, we have to get people to your point, you know if we want folks to to see the value in this, and if we want folks to get on board and get excited about that, think about the things that get them excited. It's about how are we growing the business? It's about how are we expanding the business? It's about how are we obtaining and delighting and keeping new customers and reducing churn? Right? In any company, name it. I don't know any company, any Fortune 500 company that's not in business to do that. Right? Yeah. So if we can think about it from the standpoint of... I mean, the beauty is we got demographics on our side.
1: So if you
2: think... Right. So if you want to grow this company, if you want to expand this company, if you want to gain new customers, delight them and and retain them, then do you understand who they are and what they need? Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you go find some people who have that lived experience. To help inform you.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And bring them, bring them into your organization with the goal of, because I don't know. This is why at Amazon, you can't talk, at least in Amazon Studios, on, on the content side. Now, I can't <laughs> tell you what HR is doing. On the content side, you do not get to talk about DEI because it's, quote unquote, the right thing to do. Yeah. In, in Amazon Studios, content side, when we talk about DEI, we talk about it based on our, our leadership principle of customer obsession. Leaders start with customers and work backwards. They work to earn and keep customer trust. Hmm. That's why, that that's why, that's the work I'm doing. Hmm. So, so when we show up to go talk to the drama team and we show up to go talk to the comedy team, when we show up to go talk to the movie scene, we're here in the name of customer obsession, people. Let's figure out how we make sure in this story we're telling, we are earning and keeping customer trust. So my, my hope by 2025 is that, you know, rather than, you know, folks having the mental connotation they have around the DEI departments, that it shifts to, these are the people that are going to help me grow.
1: I love that. Um, well, this has been a fire conversation. I have my one last question we're gonna to get to.
2: Okay. I'm sad, but I'm ready.
1: I'm sad, too, but I'm not too sad, because we're gonna talk after this, after we turn this recording light off. Alright. So what... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. what, what three points of advice would you give to executive leaders who are trying to do the right thing in this tumultuous, uncertain, some would even argue, fear-driven season but don't yeah. know where to start?
2: You know, I think the first thing they have to do is you know, understand your organizational value and mission. Like what are you in business to do? Right? At Amazon, we're in business to be the earth's most customer-centric company. So if I understand that, then I understand to make sure my DEI strategy is built around it, is ladders up to it, and be in uh integrated in it. And ingrained in it. And so I would tell every organization to think about who you are as an organization, your values, your mission statement, and how does DEI help you solve for that? The second thing I would tell a leader to do is, listen, everybody is, you know, passionate about people. (laughs) But that's not what you need when when you are trying to find a DEI leader. You need a competent leader who understands the business, who understands data, and who also understands uh, people, right? And so I would say find a competent DEI leader who has proven results. And then when you bring them into their organization, uh, set them up for success. Don't stick them in HR. Don't bury them in some other part of the organization. Give them access to the CEO, to the senior leaders, and then the last thing I would tell um uh, uh last piece of advice I'd give to executive leaders is, you know, you you care about you know wh- where your where your where your money is is where your treasure is. Mm. So if you care about the work and want to do it the right way, resource it. Give it head count, fund it appropriately and not try to make people do it off the side of their desks. It should be built in, not bolt, bolted on.
1: Come on now. Um, this has been a fire conversation. Latasha. I'm so excited about this about this interview going out. Um, you're a friend of the show, obviously, and we look forward <laughs> I'm to having a you you're a cousin Shred, you're a cousin of the show. Um, obviously. Yep. and I look forward we look forward to having you back. all right. we'll talk to you soon.
2: I would love it. Thank you so much for this, Zach. This has been such a wonderful conversation for me. And I'm really excited about all the work that you're doing and the space you're making uh, for all of us out here living these corporate lives.
1: Yes, ma'am. Talk to you later. Peace.
2: All right. Take care.
1: And we're back. Yo, shout out to Latasha at Amazon Studios. I told y'all we had a good time. I told y'all it was fun. Uh, we laughed a lot on and off, uh, Mike, and I'm excited uh, for us to continue to uh, to work together. Uh, Latasha, you're always welcome back to the show. You know that I told you that but I'm saying it on the record in front of everybody because I want you to know the love is real. And look, y'all take care of yourselves. There's nothing worse than wasted potential. Straight up. Take care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves. You unlock your potential by taking care of yourself. Straight up. And I'm the type of person, I'm a big giver. Like I'll give to a bunch of other people. I'll give them, I'll make myself, frankly, overly accessible to a ton of different people. And for me, my, one of my unlocks in this season has been to make sure that I'm giving back to myself too, because I can't be of any use if I'm not giving back to myself. Right. So make sure you take care of yourself. You give back to yourself. You invest in yourself. Giving back to yourself is a form of self-care. It's a form of love. It's a form of activism. Um, it's a form of resistance. Okay. So, look, I love y'all. We will talk soon. Peace.
2: Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion?